good morning. It was exactly one year ago today, exactly one year ago, that uh, I got snowed in and you got canceled. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any connection between me and snow, but you never know. It's, it's a pleasure to be here again with you. I have a special connection with Midland, and uh, over the year since I first came, I've tried to figure out what is it, and all I can come down to is there's a sense of community here that I don't experience in a lot of places, and that's one of the biggest compliments you are ever going to get from me. Having a sense of community these days is very countercultural. There are a lot of churches that exist but don't have community. Having community is, of course, what it's all about, right? Amen? Community in Jesus Christ. But, <clears throat> Alyssa, don't ever have a confession that hits that close to home again, okay? I don't want to, yeah. Yeah. I came here to be comfortable, not challenged, okay? So, I have a question for you before we start. <clears throat> what expectations did you come with this morning? We all have expectations. Sometimes we don't know what they are, but we all have expectations. And when we come this morning, especially on Palm Sunday, we tend to have expectations. We're expecting something. Uh, we expect to see the kids coming down the aisle with palm branches. Or we expect a big, happy, celebratory worship service. We expect not to be challenged in the prayer of confession. We expect to, we expect to be comfortable. We expect to meet Jesus that we have always known exactly the way Jesus is. Well, what were you expecting when you came this morning? Think about that, because I'm going to ask you to think about that again a little bit later on. What were your expectations when you came this morning? All right? Now let's pray. Father, for your goodness, we give you praise and honor and glory. We ask that this time in your word would, first of all, glorify you. Secondly, exalt Jesus Christ. And thirdly, be faithful to your spirit as he speaks. Help us listen. Help us be faithful to all that you reveal to us. And Lord, above all else, I thank you that your grace is sufficient and fully operative in all of our lives so that even when the prayer confession stings a little bit, it's all in grace and for our good. So we look for your work among us, within us, and around us in this time. Amen. So... I have done, I, I was trying to think how many Palm Sunday sermons I have done, and I, I lost track, but it's a lot. I've done a lot of Palm Sunday. It's one of those things where I have got folders upon folders of Palm Sunday sermons, right? Um, and it gets to the point where if we've been in church year after year, we start to hear the same things over and over and over again. And so we start to think, well, you know, I kind of have a handle on Palm Sunday. I know what it's about. Well... I think so. I think there's something about my expectation of Palm Sunday that became kind of mundane. But the question that we have to ask of the passage that we're going to look at is, what were the, ex what were the disciples expecting? What was the crowd expecting? What were the Pharisees expecting? What are we expecting when we come on Palm Sunday today? Let's look at John 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So ends the reading of the word. Number one thing we have to understand as we look at this passage, let's just make the, the observations. Number one, he is fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is fulfilling the passage that said he would enter in, the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of a, of a white stallion like the Roman emperors would ride. It is not a sign of power and triumph. It is a sign of humility and servanthood. The point is this. Jesus showed up as he really is, not as people wanted him to be. You ever thought about that? Jesus shows up as he really is, not as people wanted him to be. Not as we want him to be sometimes. He was humble, seated on the foal of a donkey. It wasn't power. He was victorious spiritually, not militarily. He didn't come as a conquering military hero, even though that's what a lot of people wanted. If, after all, isn't that what David did? He came in righteous power, not political power, even though some of the more advanced politicians among the group, that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted a politician that would oust the Romans or at least gain leverage against them. But Jesus didn't come for any of those things. Jesus came to be Jesus. So the Jesus that the disciples, the crowd, and the Pharisees got wasn't what they expected. They were expecting the wrong Jesus. See, it says, at first the disciples didn't understand all this. And then it says the crowd that was with him continued to spread the word. And what that's saying is that if you look before verse 12, the pericope, the, the passage right before that, is the passage about Jesus going to Bethany and raising Lazarus from the dead. This amazing, miraculous sign. He raises a man from the dead. That wasn't good. Okay, Lord. I wonder if it's because it's hitting my... I, I shaved as close as I could, really. I... Okay, we'll try there. Good? All right, sorry. <laughs> At least you didn't have headphones on. The disciples didn't understand. The crowd didn't understand. They were expecting this miraculous powerful demonstration they and they were following him they were following him because of that and people who heard about it came out to meet him because of that and the pharisees well they never really got it but the amazing thing is how ironic what they said about jesus was it was in fact a prophecy 
but it was spoken by people who they didn't believe what they were saying. It was made it was made from a sinful, evil perspective, but it was a true prophecy. The whole world. How ironic. But no one was expecting Jesus as he really is to do what he really was doing. You get that? You see that here? Nobody was expecting him to be who he was. The Jesus the crowd saw was uh, maybe a bunch of different people. Could be the military conqueror like Joshua, the political powerhouse like David, the nationalist superhero like a zealot. There were zealots. The religious superhero like Elijah. And all of those people were kind of in that expectation. They were all expecting something like that. And they all put their expectations on Jesus. We would call it projection. They were projecting their expectations onto him. And when he didn't live up to them, it's a good thing we don't do that today, right? We don't ever project our spiritual expectations onto our pastors, right? Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> of course we do. We don't ever project onto other people what we want from them, our small group leaders or our elders. We don't project onto people. No, yeah, we do. We do. It's a human thing. We all do. So what did you expect when you came today? What Jesus were you expecting to meet here today? What Jesus did you expect to worship today? Maybe we make the same mistakes that the crowd and the, el and the elders and the Pharisees. No, sorry, there's no connection. And, and the Pharisees. And the disciples made. Maybe we made the same mistake. Maybe there's something about being human. Maybe there's something about humanity that tends to get Jesus wrong. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this, but uh, Kevin DeYoung uh, laid out a bunch of different kinds of Jesuses that we, that we expect. And I just named a few here, but Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and owning firearms. Then there's Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart. And he's for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. Yeah. <laughs> there's Touchdown Jesus. It's not football season, so I can use this one. He helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. Then there's gentle Jesus. He's the meek and mild Jesus with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash while looking very Scandinavian. I, I guarantee you I've got a picture of him in my house. I know that's exactly what he looks like. Kind of a Brad Pitt sort of thing. you know. Well, see, they're all wrong, right? They're humorous, but they're all wrong. But here's the point. There's a nugget of truth in each one of those. There's a nugget of truth in them. And that's the point. All of our expectations of Jesus have a nugget of truth, but we fill in all of the gaps. We kind of blend all of the things together and make it to be more the way we want it. Right? That's how you come up with Republican Jesus and Democrat Jesus and Touchdown Jesus. That's how you come up with those things. We fill in the gaps. We take the nugget that we like, and then we build the picture around it. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, what Jesus should we expect, especially today? 
what Jesus should we expect? As we come down the mountain with him, as we come out of Jerusalem and run up the hill toward him, as we see him in worship today, what Jesus should we expect? Well, I'll suggest that we need to be expecting the Jesus that is the Lamb of God, the Passover sacrifice, the Messiah who came to serve and not be served, the exact representation of God. That's the Jesus we should be expecting today. And he is most definitely not Scandinavian. Probably never ate lefse in his entire life. He's not Scandinavian. Everyone, everyone, if you look at this passage, here's the thing that strikes me. Everybody who was so excited that Jesus came into town that day because the disciples were just excited to see him being so welcomed, the crowd was so excited because they said, here's this guy that raised somebody from the dead and he's coming here. I wonder what he's going to do for me. And the Pharisees who expected they were finally going to trap him and defeat their political religious foe. But Jesus disappointed everyone because he didn't meet their expectations. But it's not because he wasn't trying, it's because their expectations were wrong. Now, let's stop here. Since Alyssa started the difficult questions, I'm going to roll with that. When have you ever been disappointed with Jesus? When have you ever been upset that he was not doing for you what you expected him to do for you? When has he been not what you wanted, not what you think you needed? When was that? What did that look like? What were the circumstances? Did you tell him? Were you angry at him? Or did you kind of hide for a while? Or did you just go silent? What was that like? I'm going to tell you about a case in my life that reflects this in a moment. But what was it like for you? What was it like for you to have your hopes dashed, your assumptions proven wrong? your expectations to be unmet. What was that like? And what did you do about it? How did your relationship with Jesus change as a result of that? See, the really important thing that we've heard again and again and again is that within days, this crowd that was, yell, that was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Oh, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh. Within days, they were shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. Why? He didn't meet their expectations. He failed to do what they wanted him to do. Within days, and a week later, they'd crucified him because he didn't meet their expectations. See, we get Jesus wrong. 
There's something about human beings trying to grasp the fullness of Jesus Christ because he is fully God and fully man. There's something about human beings that really struggle to understand Jesus, to anticipate Jesus, to figure Jesus out. Have you ever tried to figure God out? Yeah? How long did it take you before you gave up? <laughs> I'm still trying, but the blood on the wall for me going boom, boom, boom is really getting to be quite large. That's what it becomes. Trying to figure God out is kind of futile. We can't fully figure God out. Why? Well, because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's God. We're not. There is this otherness to God that we have to remember. And that's the point. The otherness of Jesus made all the difference. They couldn't grasp that Jesus wasn't there to accomplish human things. He wasn't there to accomplish what only humans could do. He was there to accomplish what only God could do. And they couldn't see Jesus' divinity. They couldn't see His overarching, universal work that He was accomplishing. We tend to favor information that confirms what we already know, right? We do. We tend to favor that. We tend to reject information that we don't agree with. We tend to favor and, and put a lot of weight on information that that confirms our pre-existing conditions, that confirms our biases. And when we do that, it limits our ability to see. It's just like putting on our VR goggles, or in the old days, I would say it's just like putting on our blinders. We can't see a full field of vision. We can only see what we choose to look at. Kind of like wearing trifocals. <laughs> you better be looking straight down or you're going to miss the step. Otherwise, everything is fuzzy, and you can't see it. Yeah, that's an age-appropriate joke. So, uh, kids, one day you might understand. Of course, at that point, they'll have this thing, so you won't even wear glasses anymore. We tend to wear blinders. We tend to have our VR goggles on so we see what we want to see. Which, if you think about it spiritually, what is that? It's a form of individual self-serving rebellion. God, I don't want to see you as you really are. Israel said to Moses, Moses, you talk to God, we don't want to talk to him, you deal with him. Right? And in a way, what the disciples are saying is, well, we'll just <laughs> we'll just keep Jesus kind of manageable, so we'll just believe what what's convenient. The crowd, yeah, we'll pay attention to things we really like about Jesus and we'll be so excited, but then when he does what they don't want him to do, oh my, kill him. Do you ever wear goggles? Do you ever wear blinders? Do you ever see only what you want to see when it comes to Jesus? So how do we miss the real Jesus? How is it? What, what is that process? The question that got me started on this years ago was, how is it that within days, people who were so excited and saying Hosanna and truly celebrating that Jesus was coming into town, how is it that within days they're ready to kill him? Well, I think the answer is this. I think the answer is that human beings have mental models that eliminate their ability to see as it really is. Mental models are those 
uh, that very often they're unconscious. Very often we don't know what our mental models are. But they're those unconscious uh, operative systems of our beliefs, our values, our assumptions, our expectations. And those things that we believe, and specifically about Jesus today, but we have mental models about everything. We have mental model about what church is, what a church should be. We have mental models about what pastor is and what pastor should be, about what family is, what marriage is, what school is. We have mental models about everything. And that's one reason they're unconscious, is that we, if we had to operate in conscious thought about all those things, it would be exhausting. So over the years, we have accumulated this, this mass of expectations, beliefs, values, assumptions, and they have become the operative system. And so the mental model determines what we see, what we hear, and what we do. As Christ followers, the challenge for us is to recognize, number one, that we have mental models, that we have these assumptions and expectations that are operative in our spiritual lives, that we expect certain things of Jesus when we are hurt. We expect certain things of Jesus when we're excited. We expect certain things out of our church. We expect certain things from our pastors. And that's not saying that all of our expectations are wrong. It's just saying that these mental models drive how we see, how we hear, what we believe, what we do. As Christ followers, what we need to do is recognize that we have mental models and we need to be willing to have our mental models challenged so that we can grow as we continually update and correct and adjust our mental models to better reflect reality. When we talk about walking with Jesus, what that means is we need to be like the first disciples and continually grow in our under, 